Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, good evening. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Habakkuk. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Habakkuk. If not, uh, there should be one in the pew, or you can follow along up in, uh, on the screen. Habakkuk chapter 3. Now this morning, I actually kind of struggled whenever I preached this at Woburn, and uh, I didn't exactly know why, but it struck me as we were singing why it was so difficult to preach this text this morning. This text is a text that talks about who God is, what His nature is, and how in the world can human beings, the, we, we simple human beings, can we describe God? You, know, you ask a child, what is God like? And, and you may get all kinds of different answers, but can any of us, whether a child or adult, be able to describe what God is like? None of us can. And yet, God uses human language to speak to us, to tell us what He is like. We read in the Bible, and what we read is true. While we can't grasp it all, while, while our minds can't even fathom It's true about God's nature and who He is. One of the reformers uh, back in the 1500s said that uh, when God spoke in the Scriptures to us, it was like He he knelt down and spoke baby talk to us. That's, That's the truth. We are just so small and God is so infinite. So whenever we come to a passage like this and we see this picture of God that is big and exalted and we can't help but have difficulty just describing it in words what God is like. This book of Habakkuk, because we've been going through it, um, it's been a short book. It's only three chapters. It's only taken us three weeks. We're going to finish it tonight. But um, there's been this ringing question going on in Habakkuk's mind. How, God, why, how long are you going to sit there? Are you not going to do anything with all the injustice in the world, with all the wickedness? Can you just stand by and watch as this happens? You are too holy and too pure to just let this happen. How can it be that you're not doing anything about it? And God answers and says, I am. I'm sending in the Babylonians and I'm going to destroy he says, uh, uh, you know, the, the Babylonians, they're not going to get away with it. They're going to get exactly what they deserve. And while it looks like the world is go, just falling apart all around, God is still sitting on His throne. Let all the earth be silent. We come here to Habakkuk chapter 3, where Habakkuk gives a prayer. He, he gives a prayer, and this prayer is in the form of a song. Uh, you, you might see here a couple of words that are strange as we read them. In, in the verse 1, it says, according to the Shigian oath. What's a Shigian oath? <laughs> who, who knows what that is? That it's probably some kind of a, a musical notation. We see the same kind of thing in the Psalms. So uh, that's kind of triggering us to, to let us know this is a song. And at the end, we see a very similar cue. It's telling us, to the choir master with the stringed instruments. Another cue, this is a song that he's composed, that he's singing. It's a a prayer, and it's a song. 
Now let's read from Habakkuk chapter 3, from God's Word. A prayer of Habakkuk, according, uh, the prophet, according to the Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of You, and Your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, and there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of all his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait, quietly wait, for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's. He makes me tread upon my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, that You would condescend to speak to human beings how small and insignificant we are compared to You. But Lord, You valued us enough to speak to us. Father, we pray that You would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, that we would not neglect Your Word. Lord, that we would hear exactly what it is You want us to hear. 
Lord, that we would behold Your glory. Lord, that we would see in this, these pages a picture of You in Your glory that just blows us away. Father, be with me. I, I am a sinner. I need to hear this. I need to see You in Your glory. I need for You to touch me with Your Word. So Lord, touch me as well as the hearers. And Lord, I pray that You would give me boldness and preserve me from error. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we've said, He sings this as a kind of a song. And He prays beginning with one request. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of You and Your work. O Lord, do I fear. So He's telling God first, He says, I have heard the stories about the past of what You've done. When You came down and You delivered Your people, like whenever You came down and You rescued Lot out of Sodom. Lord, when You came down and when You rescued Your people from Egypt. Lord, when You came down and You rescued people like uh, the people of Israel during the time of Samson, whenever Samson came as a deliverer and he saved his people. Habakkuk is saying, I've heard the stories before. And I've seen your works. And he says, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. He's saying, what you've done in the past, Lord, what you've done in the past that we only read about, Lord, bring that back now. We want to see revival. We want to see the things that you've done in the past come now. Don't let us just read about it, but make it known. Make it something that we can experience this day. We think about the things that God has done in the Bible. We know we serve a God who has done marvelous things in the past, and that ought to encourage us with faith and hope to know that He can do it again. And it also ought to be our heart's desire to see it. To see it. To long for revival. Things like our own country. We think of of the Great Awakenings, the First Great Awakening in the 1700s, the Second Great Awakening in the 1800s, where many, many, many people came to know the Lord through the preaching of people like uh, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. We long to see it in our day. We long to see it in our day. Then he begins to tell a story. He begins to describe God and how He has worked, but he really about who He is, about who God is. Habakkuk says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from, the, from Mount Paran. This may take a little bit of an explanation here. We, don't, we may not be familiar with all the stories and everything, but Teman was a place within Edom in the south. And uh, Mount Paran would have also been uh, in, the, in the south, probably one of the places they would have gone through during the wilderness wanderings. And I think Habakkuk may have had in mind when God brought His people through the wilderness and led them into the promised land. 
And how God had worked in the past, calling upon that and saying, He's going to do it again. God came from Teman, He came from Mount Paran, and He's going to do it again. And then he begins to describe God in all of His splendor. He says, His splendor covers the heaven, His earth was full of His praise. Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. We've got, what did God create in the very beginning? He created the heavens and the earth. And here we see the heavens and the earth. They're filled with His splendor. Oh, the heavens declare the glory of God as we look out upon all of creation. We look out tomorrow and we see this eclipse. It's something that declares the glory of God. It's as part of God's splendor just pouring out speech to us. And the earth is filled with His praise. You know, Habakkuk in the last chapter said he looked forward to a day when one day the, the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk here describes God as one whose splendor fills the heavens and the earth is filled with His praise. Then, Talks about his brightness and how how bright and light filled he is. It's it's almost like um, a picture of God coming down and just shining in his brightness. We you know we think of Moses who came down from the mountain and his just his face shone from experiencing God, and yet here God comes down and his brightness was like light. All of his whole body, if God had a body was like light. The rays flashed from His hands. And there He veiled His power. Imagine light coming from His hands. Think like lightning bolts just coming from His hand. God is so big and so amazing. When He moves His hand, it's like a lightning bolt coming. And there He veils His glory. You think that's something amazing? That's just under the veil. A lightning bolt. Imagine what it would be like if He lifted the veil. Of course He did. In Jesus. And then, we see in verse 5, it says, Before Him went pestilence, and a plague followed at His heels. We think of diseases and pestilence, and what kinds of things are we afraid of today? We think of Ebola. You know, a few years ago, we had this Ebola crisis. And, you know, with all of our science, with all of our medical technology, here in the United States, we were still scared of Ebola. This disease that was spreading and killing lots and lots of people in Africa, and we were scared here in the United States. We didn't want anybody coming in, and we had a few people come, and it scared us. It, it made us very nervous. Well, that kind of pestilence that scares us, that even with all of our science and technology, we can't do anything about for God, it just follows Him around like a puppy. Imagine that. It says, before Him went pestilence and plague followed as His heels. It's like two little puppies that are walking along with Him, one in the front, one just kind of yapping at His heels. That's how big God is. To us, it's 
scary, it's unimaginable that even with all of our science we can't do anything to stop it, yet for God, it's nothing. It just follows around like a little puppy. God is so big, so amazing. And verse 6, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and, and shook the nations. Um, where it says He stood and measured the earth, it's like he, he stands in one place and He's able to measure the whole earth. Okay, if we were to measure something, especially that big, we'd have to move, wouldn't we? We'd have to go from one end and, and travel all... We couldn't do it! But God, He's so big, He can just stand there in one place and He can measure the whole earth. Now, I don't know what translations you have. There's uh, some discrepancy in the Hebrew. Some would say that that maybe say shook the earth, where, where it says He stands and shook the earth. And all God had to do was just stand. And the earth shakes. Or to look. The second line, He looked and shook the nations. You know, sometimes whenever your kids get out of line and all you have to do is look at them, you kids know what that's like. You just Your parents look at you and you know. Or sometimes whenever I get in trouble and Amy just gives me that look. <laughs> okay? That's God looks and the nations shake. The nations tremble. That's how big and how amazing God is. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. And more, just talking about how the landscape responds. When God looks, the mountains shake. They try to get out of the way. The valleys, they sink even lower because they're trying to get away. They don't want to get in the way of this massive God. Verse 7 I saw the tents of Cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Cushion would be uh, also sometimes called Cush. Also, uh, in some translations, it may say Ethiopia. That in the Greek idea, we, we get the idea that this would be like present-day Ethiopia. So, we're talking about nations. Cush, um, Ethiopia, or Midianites, the, the Arab people. Their tents, their dwellings, they shook. They wanted to get out of the way when they saw God coming. And then, he begins to turn on the rivers. He begins to describe this kind of a, a war between God and nature. Verse 8 says, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling forth, Many arrows, you split the river, the earth with rivers. So it's like God, He's so big and he, he pulls His bow out of the sheath and He calls forth arrows and just these arrows were enough that they split the land and it makes a river. God is so big and so amazing. The mountains saw you and writhed. So whenever he shoots his arrows, it makes a river. And whenever the mountains just see him, they shake. We, we think of a mountain as something big, as something huge that's not even movable yet to God. They look at God, these personified mountains. Mountains don't really look. 
<laughs> but these personified mountains, they look at God and they shake. They tremble. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. Talking about the ocean. These raging waters that swept on. Um, it kind of gives uh, in the... Mm, Okay, the deep gave forth its voice. I was getting ahead of myself, sorry. With the deep giving forth its voice, the ocean itself, it kind of has the sound of a groan. And, and the Habakkuk is here saying, well, that groaning sound is because it wants to get out of the way of this God who is coming to enact vengeance. And the, the, um, the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. It's like the waves. The, the ocean, is, it puts its hands up in the air in surrender over the fact that this big God is coming. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. And the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. We can kind of relate to this where it says the sun and the moon stood still. Because of tomorrow, right? <laughs> we have an eclipse. Now, what a perfect day to be preaching on a text about the sun and the earth, the moon standing still. But, you know, an eclipse, we know what causes that. We know that an eclipse is it's when, when the uh, moon, the, it's particularly a solar eclipse, is when the moon comes between the sun and the earth and it perfectly blocks out our view so that we can't see the sun. And we can kind of explain that. But this is not something we can explain with science. The Bible here tells us the moon and the sun stood still. It's not talking about an eclipse. They just stood in their places. Maybe they were afraid to come out because God was so big and so frightening. And we read in the book of Judges about a day whenever the earth, the sun stood still. That's not something that we can explain by some kind of eclipse or natural phenomenon. That can only be explained by the sovereign hand of God. The light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You thresh the nations in anger. It's got the idea of maybe stomping. He was stomping through the earth and just going over these wicked nations in judgment, trampling over them. It's a big God. Kind of a scary picture, isn't it? Yet He's a God that we can take refuge in. We can find hope in. Then finally... Verse 13, this is one of my favorite parts. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. With all of that description of how big God is, how scary He might be in judgment, what is He doing all this for as He comes out and judges the wicked? For the salvation of His people. For the salvation of His people. Because He loves His people. 
Not only that, but it, it follows that up and it says, For the salvation of His anointed. For your anointed. Notice something. The word for anointed in Hebrew is Messiah. Okay? I don't think I'm stretching too much. There were promises in the Bible going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when, when God cursed the snake with the serpent. He said, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed and He will crush your head and He will bruise His heel. Okay, the first promise of the gospel. There was a coming, a one who was a, a descendant of Eve who would one day come and crush the serpent's head. This Messiah, this hope they had from the very beginning. And we saw how Abraham was promised a seed, a son who would one day come and be a blessing to all nations. And David was one who would have a, a son who would one day sit on David's throne forever. There was a messianic hope that the Old Testament believers had. They were longing for someone who would be a son of David who would come and save them. Yet he had not come yet. And so why would Habakkuk here say, for the sake of your people, for the sake of your Messiah, your anointed one, God was going to be faithful to His promise to deliver and save His people, a remnant of His people, because the Messiah had not yet come and He was preserving the Messianic seed. God would be faithful to His promises, to the tender mercies of David, as Isaiah often said. That's where we see Jesus in this passage. I don't want to get away from that too fast. When he says, "For the God does all this stuff. He shows how big He is in all of His might. He shows how He defeats all of His enemies for the salvation of His people and for the salvation of His anointed. You know, when we are saved, when we become a Christian, we become in Christ. We become identified with Jesus. That's what we do when we're baptized. We show that we have identified with Jesus Christ. He does all of those things for us in Christ. He, is, he will defeat not only His enemies, but all of our enemies. And the sin that remains in us, He will do that for the sake of His people and for the sake of Jesus. He will defeat all of His enemies and ours. Jesus is here in this text. And... And almost, I've already shown how Jesus is here, but then let's look at the next part of the verse. You crush the head of the house of the wicked. Thinking back to Genesis 3 again. Genesis 3, God promised there would be a seed of the woman who would someday come and crush the head of the serpent. Here, it says God crushes the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. In the Hebrew, it's a little bit ambiguous. It could be translated from tail to neck. And someone in, in the translations, that, in the commentary I read said it looks, sounds kind of like a dragon. 
To me, it kind of sounds like the serpent. And, and how God crushes the head of the serpent here in verse 13. Verse 14, You pierced with His own arrows the heads of His warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter Me. It's got rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. It's got this picture of all the, the warriors or the minions of the, the serpent who are coming and trying to defeat us, to scatter us like a whirlwind. And, and they think they're doing a pretty good job and they, they rejoice as if to devour the poor in secret. They think they're getting away with it. And yet God comes and He pierces the head of all of the minion of the warriors. God will do all that for the sake of His people and of His anointed. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of many mighty waters. We think of Jesus and how He walked on water. And here, Jesus, the, the Habakkuk is writing about how God comes riding a horse along and trampling the water. Verse 16, finally, after all this picture of how, how God will step out and do all of these miraculous things to save His people and judge the wicked, and Habakkuk responds, I hear and my body trembles. Literally, that's my belly quakes. It's almost like he's sick to his stomach to see the carnage of what God has done on His behalf. My belly quakes. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. He quakes to see what God is doing. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invaded us. While he trembles at what God is about to do, He trembles at this picture of a big and mighty God, yet He is waiting in confidence knowing that one day the day of trouble is going to come on His enemies. That they will get what they deserve. That justice will be done. (coughs) Habakkuk closes this with a picture of a fig tree and crops. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive field of the olives fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Farmers can identify with this, can't they? Farming is a gamble. You don't know when you're planting your crops if anything's going to come up. You don't know whenever your, your herds give birth whether a disease will come and kill them all. And Habakkuk here says, even if all my crops fail, even if my stalls are empty because disease and pestilence has come and wiped them all out, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will triumph in the Lord. (coughs) I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And here's why 
God the Lord is my strength. Amazing, isn't it? God, let's not pass over that too quickly. God the Lord is my strength. Who is that that's my strength? This God that we've just described. He's so big that pestilence and plague just follow Him around like a puppy. Right? That's how big God is. God, that God, that big, big God is so big, and yet He is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's. He makes me tread on high places. He's got that image of, of, a, of, a, of a mountain goat or a deer up high on a mountain and it looks precarious like he shouldn't be able to stand there. But yet God says He makes our feet like that where we can stand even in the midst of a, of a precarious place because He is our strength and He upholds us. Habakkuk is a Habakkuk chapter 3 is a song where Habakkuk says everything might be chaos. My life might be falling apart. Yet God is a big God. He can handle it. He is on His throne. He will come and He will save. And while everything looks like it's falling apart, God is my strength. I can stand because of Him. This chapter describes two sides though, doesn't it? There's the wicked who God is coming in judgment on and He's going to destroy. He's going to pierce their heads with arrows. And then there's those who have faith There's those who have faith, who trust in God, who are leaning on His Messiah, His Anointed One, who are identified with Him. Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you trusting in that Messiah, that promised One who would come and crush the serpent's head? Because there's two kinds of people in this world. There are the wicked who God will one day treat like He describes here. And He will pierce their heads with an arrow. And then there are those who trust in Jesus, who rest in Him, who identify with Him. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.